pet parents, that term was really originated because as pets have been elevated to child status, they're now almost unequal. I mean, we see people buying their pets birthday presents. We see them buying Christmas presents. We, we see them humanizing, you know, they're brushing their teeth. They're, they're, they're doing things that 20 years ago, nobody ever did. That was Phil Cooper speaking about one of the trends in the huge and ever-growing pet industry. The pet industry is our focus on this episode, episode number 63 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. In this episode, we're going to speak about something millions of people around the world are proud to have as part of their family, their pets. In part one of this two-part series, we'll discuss several topics, including how the pet industry has changed over the years, how big the industry is, and who owns pets, what trends we're seeing in the industry now, in both the U.S. and elsewhere around the world, and what impact COVID-19 has had on all of this. We'll also get a few tips about pet adoption and begin to look at what the future of the pet industry may look like. To help us do this, we've brought on an outstanding expert, a man who spent 55 years working in the pet industry. He's Phil Cooper. With experience at all levels of the pet industry, Phil Cooper has done it all. He's been a retailer and a multi-unit store operator. He had the very first pet superstore in the USA. He's been part owner of an 80-year-old pet distribution company in Australia, and he was also the highest volume pet product rep in the United States for many years. Phil has done everything from importing containers to opening United States offices for overseas firms. He has traveled the world buying and selling pet products, and he has specialized in building small pet product companies into large firms. Currently, Phil owns and operates PetIndustryExpert.com, which offers a variety of business services to pet companies, both small and large. His business is very active in licensing new pet items, launching new pet companies, consulting to major consulting firms, selling to national accounts, rescuing pet firms, and rebuilding old brands. Hi, Phil. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you, Phil. I love pets. I've always loved pets. And I might even at some point say something about the pets that I had. But right now, the focus is on you. So okay. I want to ask you, Phil, you've been involved in the pet industry in so many different ways, which is part of why we have you on. It's a great, actually, it's probably the big reason why we have you on. You're an expert in this and you've been doing this 55 years this year. People think about a career you want to get involved with. Maybe you'll live longer if you're in the pet industry like Phil and he looks great. 
Phil, so you've been involved for more than 55 years in the pet industry. I think you would know a thing or two. Can you please tell our listeners how, when, and why you became interested in having a career in the pet industry? Can I assume that you grew up with pets? Well, I did. My parents, uh, fortunately for me, indulged me as a young child. My grandmother had a double yellow-headed parrot that was in our family for 72 years. So every time we, as we grew up, we'd go visit our grandmother. That's the first place we would go. So we had this automatic attraction of something exotic. We also have dogs and cats. But as a young boy, when I got my first paper route, which kids don't do anymore. Right. But when I got my first paper route, I asked my father if I could buy a monkey. And back then, uh, there were no restrictions on any animals at all. And he allowed me to do that, built me a cage in our uh, breezeway where I could keep my pet. And I had monkeys and I had all kinds of other exotic animals. So I really had a tremendous interest from a very young age in animals. And I'm very blessed to be in the position I'm in because I've lived, been living my hobby my entire life. And there wow. hasn't been one day I have not looked forward to going to work. So how lucky am I? Boy, Phil, that's incredible. From time to time on Looking Forward, we have either spoken about that in a general sense or had a person as blessed as you have been to say that, that they never worked a day in their life because they are doing their passion. And that's what you're doing. That's absolutely right. And I've taught my kids and my grandkids, you got to love what you do. And if you do, you're going to be happy. It's not always about the money. And if you work hard, money will come. But it's not about the money. It's about enjoying what you do. And I feel sorry for folks who are, are slogging away, going to work every day, doing things they don't enjoy. Well, thanks for sharing that, Phil. It's great advice. And again, people, you can't see him. You won't see him, but he looks great for a guy who's been working in an industry for 55 years. Phil, quick follow-up question. You grew up where? You mentioned all these pets. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Detroit. And then while I was in the service, I opened up a pet store because I had an aquarium that my mother had given me and I loved fish so much, I wanted to have more. So I had 12 in my apartment and my wife finally said, either you get out or the tanks get out and I don't care which. <laughs> so I opened up a pet store to save my hobby. Phil, can you please give our listeners a snapshot view of what changes or trends we've seen in the pet industry over the past few decades? You know, like in terms of pet foods, pet ownership, pet insurance, or anything else you can think of. Talking about pet food and even stores like Petco and PetSmart and now others are offering diets that can be specially made on demand. So a millennial can order at lunchtime and say, hey, I want this following food for my pet and I'll pick it up tonight at five o'clock. And they have over 300 stores with 300 fresh kitchens that can make food to order. Wow. So that business is changing. And one of the reasons it's changing is that pet ownership is increasing. You know, 67% of all American households have pets. In addition to that, we've got over 42% that have cats. And so the population, I mean, there's about 92 million cats in the United States. There's probably 79, 82 million dogs in the United States. Uh, and so pet ownership is growing. Pets have now been elevated to baby status. So uh, that gives them a special place in a family. And wow. so there's been a lot of positive changes 
that drives demand. And, you know, when there's a demand, the pet industry is one of those industries that's pretty recession proof. And even in our worst times, we fall down to eight or 9% growth in, in the worst of times. And in the best of times, we're 10 to 12% growth at brick and mortar. And in online business recently, we saw a 32% jump in growth. And so the business is fluctuates like any other business, but more recently, we've seen more investment dollars coming into the pet industry because they're looking at us and saying, hey, great return, recession-proof. Maybe we need to invest in this business because people have such a passion as pet parents for their pets. Now, just to follow up on that, this notion of pet parents, which is new to me, and maybe it's because I haven't had a pet in eh, four or five years. If somebody doesn't have any children, I could understand where they might see themselves as a pet parent. Does this terminology apply to people who have children living with them? And what exactly does it mean? Well, you know, a pet parent means, you know, as opposed to pet ownership, yeah, you can own pets, but it kind of distances them away from you, uh, makes them a much uh, lower value, if you will, in consideration than other things that you may own, although pets bring so much more to the party. Pet parents, that term was really originated because as pets have been elevated to child status, they're now almost unequal. I mean, we see people buying their pets birthday presents. We see them buying Christmas presents. We, we see them humanizing. You know, they're brushing their teeth. They're, they're, they're doing things that 20 years ago, nobody ever did. So it's really made a difference. And some of the largest corporations in the U.S., the Mars Company is an example, who I always watch as an industry insider because they're self-funded and they're usually doing things that have real impact on future changes. A couple of years ago, they bought 500 vet clinics. Why would Mars want to buy vet clinics? You know, everybody couldn't figure out the acquisition. But the reality is Mars, as a uh, their pet division now outranks their candy division. In, wow. In, and the pet industry is larger than the liquor industry in volume. And so those are pretty remarkable trends. And really, in my view, the reason they buy 500 pet clinics is the fact that they want to learn about the pet parents. They want to know how many pets you have, whether they're male, they're female, what their health issues are, what you're feeding your pet. They're going to generate so much data and that data becomes very valuable because they happen to own 12 dog food companies and they can now target to specific customers, vet customers. And watching that trend, Walmart has recently decided to add 300 vet clinics to 300 of their stores in the U.S. And PetSmart and Petco have been adding uh, vet clinics as well. Another human trend, pet insurance you mentioned. That's grown dramatically. There's a, a heavy competition right now, not only for pet insurance, for health insurance. My granddaughter has a program that she buys through a local vet clinic and it costs her $39 a month. But recently she had a $900 vet bill that she didn't have to pay for. So she found great value in, in that uh, almost immediately. And so, you know, you look at those kinds of trends and, and the business is growing at a, at a rapid pace and it's becoming very humanized. Fascinating stuff, Phil. Thanks for sharing. One other 
quick question about trends, and then we'll move on to another interesting area. I want to ask you, you understandably have been speaking about cats and dogs. However, you had a monkey. There are rabbits out there. There are turtles. There are fish. You had fish. Birds. Is pet ownership up in all these categories? I don't know about monkeys, but is pet ownership up in all those categories or is it mainly being driven by cats and dogs? Well, it's mainly been driven by cats and dogs uh, in the recent years. Some of the other categories have dipped down and, and there's a lot of different reasons for it. When there were no restrictions, I could import any kind of animal I wanted without making out any forms and never having any issues. And we sold some pretty exotic things. Uh, today, that's all changed. Number one, there's a shortage uh, of exotic animals. Number two, uh, a lot of humane groups are anti-exotic animals. So we've seen a, uh, a bit of a lag in some of the other segments of pet ownership. You know, bird sales have been down. Aquarium sales were down a little bit. And of course, that also is reflected on small animals. The problem uh, with some of the other segments is supply. Uh, you know, when we were young, everybody had, all kids had birds because we didn't have a TV and we didn't have an iPad and we didn't have video games to play with. And kids spent all their times outdoors and parents loved to have pets be a lifetime experience to teach kids responsibility. So we've lost some of that because of innovation of technology, but Thank goodness for 4-H programs, which are still very, very active, and uh, it teaches kids responsibility. And so, you know, it does have their ups and downs, some of the other categories. And you can notice it when you go into some of the major retailers, if they've downsized the aquatic section uh, and added more dog and cat, yeah. they've done that because it, uh, sometimes it's a, a volume issue and they'd rather sell more dog food than turtle food, uh, those kinds of things. But you know, we, we are seeing some positive trends of late now that uh, people are coming out of COVID that also had an impact uh, where they're showing renewed interest in some of those other categories. Phil, we have about 25 to 30 percent of our listeners who aren't in the United States. They could be in Canada. They could be in Europe. They can be in Asia, Africa. We've got them spread all over the place. I'd like you to speak a little bit about what difference there might be, maybe there isn't any difference, between the trends that you described that happened in the United States over those last several decades and what's been happening elsewhere around the world. Is everybody else pretty much moving in lockstep with us? Do they tend, for example, to like different pets or are pet foods not evolving as much there yet? What are you saying, Phil? Well, it's interesting. I've, I've had the pleasure of traveling worldwide in the pet industry, and I can give you a, a lot of content on a lot of different countries, but let's take Australia. Interesting, Australia's got probably the largest uh, population of wild birds uh, and some of the most beautiful birds you've ever seen of anywhere in the world. White cockatoos, uh, we, you know, everybody is recognized as a white cockatoo, either that see them on TV or whatever. Well, they're their pests. They're like crows. They fly in large flocks. I used to walk in the morning before I started work 
and I see a flock of cockatoos come down in the park to feed and everybody else is saying, you know, hello, cocky, uh, how are yeah. you doing today? And walking by and I looked at it and say, hey, there's $20,000 sitting there. Because, <laughs> you know, we're paying $1,200 for a cockatoo in the United States and down there they're retailing for $29.99 <laughs> because they're a pest. And so, you know, they're very strong in their bird feeding and their love of the birds because of this big population. Consequently, they don't like cats as much because they're a threat to the birds. Although recently the cat population is increasing. They love dogs. One of the most interesting things I saw when I went to Australia the first time is they were not feeding canned dog food at all. Every pet store had a fresh ground counter where they would grind up, they called mince, which was hamburger, both kangaroo and, and beef, and they would feed raw meat to your dogs, and, and dogs are carnivores, so it makes a great deal of sense that a raw diet is a good thing. So there, uh, it's just been recently out of convenience, and I say recently in the last 10 years or so, where canned boots have become popular in Australia also, out of convenience. And again, I think that's a millennial thing, but at that same token, Raw foods are now becoming popular in the United States. So we do see trends that overlap from different countries. Back to your original thought, the trends that we see in the U.S. most certainly have influence because we are the largest pet population, the largest pet product consuming population in the world, and we have been pretty strongly. And second to Australia is Germany and the U.K., which also most all the English-speaking countries We've seen pet growth rise at similar levels that they have here. And then Africa is developing at a little bit slower pace because of income and issues depending on countries there. But recently I was approached by a woman in Africa who's making cat toys and she wants to sell cat toys in the United States. And so she knows that the market's much larger here. And so what I see in a lot of developing countries is the emergence of the industry, just like it was here when I began. It, it was an industry that didn't exist, and it started regionally with making up products regionally, and then it developed a distribution network. And that'll happen also with Africa and, and many other countries like them. Now, China is a whole different story uh, because of population. There was a time that they would eat dogs and cats, uh, and, and now they don't do that any longer. We've also seen the economy raised in China, where people now have elevated their pets. And if you go to Shanghai today, you can expect to pay $90 a night to put your pet in a pet hotel if you want to. And that's U.S. dollars, not Chinese dollars. And they owners, it's a status symbol to have a a nice fluffy uh, small dog with a diamond collar and those kinds of things. So, you know, that's a big market uh, in potential strictly because of population. The Canadian market mirrors uh, image of the U.S., except again, based on population. They have a large landmass uh, and their population, just like Australia, you know, Australia has 20 million people. That's the population of Southern California. So you got to put things in perspective when you look at the markets. The Canadian market is, is really valued at about, uh, when I say valued, I mean in sales, about 20% of the sales of the U.S. So it does vary by country, but the trends that are happening here are filling over to all the other countries very, very naturally. Fascinating information, Phil. We know that 
the pandemic has wreaked havoc on people's lives. I'm wondering, from your perspective, how has COVID-19 affected the various things we've been talking about, you've been talking about, Phil, the pet business, pet ownership, anything else that you can think of, the veterinarian business? Well, COVID had a dramatic effect on everybody at every industry, of course, some industries harder than others. Uh, but for us, we saw an immediate impact. And the good news was, if there was any good news out of COVID, was the fact that pet stores were deemed essential and they were allowed to stay open and sell pet food. Uh, and that's the essential part of it. Now, many couldn't open their doors, or if they could, they had to limit customers by one or two at a time. But then they realized that uh, they have to offer curbside service. So they encourage customers to, to call in with their needs and we'll bring it to your door. You don't even have to leave your car. We'll come out, open your car window, give you what you need, and we'll charge you credit card. That helped a little bit. And then some aggressive retailers said, okay, now I can offer delivery, which I never would have offered before. What developed, I know of a, of a hundred store chain in the, in the Southwest, a Hollywood feed who uh, started home delivery and they wound up increasing business by 25% by offering home delivery and today. And that's business they never had before that helps during COVID. And now that, things were relaxed a little bit, that's really uh, increased business that they never had before. And they're very pleased that they made that decision. So that was pretty important trend uh, that developed out of a necessity. And of course, you know, the mass mandates uh, limit the amount of people that can come in stores. Uh, and fortunately, we're still deemed essential. And people just had to be a lot more creative. Probably the biggest impact was the dramatic increase in the online business when people couldn't go out and they couldn't go out shopping like they were used to. So they started buying more. And there's been this big battle between Amazon and Chewy uh, with online. Amazon's got more money. They're the big gorilla in the room and they want to get all the business away from Chewy that they can. Yeah. Chewy uh, uh, compensates by offering a customer service level that can't be compared anywhere. If you're a prescription buyer at Chewy and you no longer buy dog food and you cancel your subscription, usually you'll get a call, why? Uh, and, and when you tell them, unfortunately, my dog passed away and that's why I canceled my subscription, usually the next morning you wind up with a dozen roses on your doorstep and a, and a condolence card from Chewy. Wow. And you can call Chewy anytime and talk to a live person and spend up to 20 minutes on the phone. You can't do that at Amazon. You can't do that at any other online retailer. And so their customer service level is second to none. And, and that's allowed their business to increase. I will echo your comments, Phil, about Chewy. They were amazing when I was getting their deliveries. Absolutely amazing customer service. I thought I might have read that there was a greater demand for pets, adoptions and, and new pets. And I don't know, again, if this is limited to the U.S. or not, but is that true that COVID might have triggered an increase in pet ownership? And if so, why? Absolutely true. What happened with COVID because of a shortage of dogs and cats, we literally saw animal shelters get emptied out coast to coast as people now were working from home. They had more time to devote to being a pet parent. 
They wanted, because they're home with their kids and they're home with the family, they wanted their kids also to spend more time with the pets because they were now home learning. So they were home as well. So demand increased dramatically. And about the only pets that were left behind in all of this, and we still would like to find a solution for these, are the troubled pets, the, the pit bulls, the, the ones that are far too aggressive or have uh, emotional problems. And so many pet parents, God bless them, uh, still adopted even troubled animals because there was such a shortage. And our biggest fear as an industry is that when COVID began to change or improve, where uh, we can open up again, that maybe people would return uh, some of the adopted pets. And unfortunately, uh, when COVID came on, some of the pets that were adopted or, or when some of the restrictions were placed in place again, some of the pets were returned to adoption centers, but they're now are emptying out again. You know, we hate to see that happen. And I always tell people, even today, after all these years, if you're going to adopt a pet, you got to make sure you can afford it. Uh, you got to make sure you can buy food. You want to make sure it's a, it's a lifelong decision for the pet because they're just like children. You can imagine being adopted and then sent back. You know, that's something that's unimaginable and you don't ever want that to happen. So uh, we caution people still today to make sure when they adopt an animal or, or take responsibility for becoming a pet parent, that it's a lifelong decision. Yes. And we're going to come back to that later on. I'm going to have you give more tips to our listeners that concern pet adoption, but also pet ownership in general and choosing a pet. Phil, looking forward is called looking forward for two reasons. And the first of those is we're futuristic. We like to look forward and see what might happen over the next several years. We don't look forward 20 years. We don't even look forward 10 because as you know, and I know things can change in a heartbeat, but we will ask you because of your knowledge to speculate a little bit. We'll call it educated speculation about what changes or trends you might predict that we will see over the next several years in the pet industry. And again, we're talking about all facets from veterinarian trends to pet product trends, pet foods, pet ownership, pet insurance, pet stores, any of that. What do you think? Well, we've got a big future ahead of us and a lot of changes that we do see that will affect us in a lot of different ways. Talking about pet services uh, at the vet level, uh, we're going to see a big increase there because, again, as we humanize pets, some of the same emotions and things that happen to us happen to our animals. So what we're seeing now is an increase in end-of-life services and advice. So when you lose a pet, what do you do? Uh, you know, some people want to have them cremated and, and have their ashes in their yard. Other people don't want to have them cremated. And they're buying plots and pet cemeteries. And sure. so that's changing quite a bit. And so we're seeing a big change there. And it's an emotional thing. Not Very. everybody can handle a loss without talking about it to somebody. So now there are pet services from vets uh, and they can't cross state lines, but within their states here in California, we've got a number of vets that are offering these services. They'll walk you through all the emotions you're feeling and, and give you good solid advice on how to handle uh, this tragic loss. And so 
we're seeing that uh, as an upcoming trend. Uh, we're going to see a big increase in the online business. I don't believe that we'll ever see the uh, elimination of brick and mortar, uh, although we'll see a major change there. I have my doubts about big mammoth superstores uh, because what many of them are discovering is they've got 40,000 square feet with 30-foot ceilings. The overhead is very expensive. Uh, there's only two ways to make money in business. One, you either have to increase sales or you decrease your overhead. Only two ways I know uh, how to make money. And so they try to decrease their overhead and help is usually where they go first. And so go into a, a big superstore and try to get a question answered. If you're dealing with a uh, hourly employee, there's nobody in the aisle that knows anything. And that's a big disappointment. So there we're seeing uh, a growth of regional smaller stores in, in your area where you're living pet value they've gone to a recent change now there's psps and there's pets plus and there's hollywood feed and and there's still plenty of pet values and pet supermarket they all are smaller stores five seven thousand square feet ten foot ceilings it takes less to fill up a store it takes fewer employees uh and so we're seeing that change. And the best part is you can walk in and you can usually get some good advice. In my hometown, we've got a local pet store called Ben's Marketplace, and he's surrounded by Petco, PetSmart, uh, Pet Food Express. Uh, and he still does out of 5,000 square feet, a million and a half dollars a year in business. Because when you walk into his store, he knows you by name. He knows your pet by name. He can walk into the cooler. He can pick out your diet because he knows what your pet eats. And if you've got a question, you get an answer. And people are uh, patronizing those stores far more than they are the big box stores because they can't get answers. Consequently, big box stores have put in vet departments, have put in uh, dog training departments, daycare for pets, pet hotels in some area, trying to use up that space wisely to pay for the overhead. So we're going to see a big change, in my opinion, there because people will adapt and they're going to go where they have to go to get the information they need. We talked pet insurance. We uh, talked about pet ownership. The prediction is that it will increase uh, as demand increases. Now the average uh, American home has 2.5 dogs and they feed their dogs treats eight to 10 times a day. We love it if you're a pet uh, treat seller we now have an obesity problem with pets being <laughs> overfed. And there's a challenge there too, because again, because they're being humanized, now the vets are seeing an increase in cases of obesity and putting dogs on diet. There's diet foods for pets with lower protein. And so a lot of changes happening all the way around us. This concludes part one of our two-part series on the pet industry with our guest expert, Phil Cooper. Please join us again soon for part two, when Phil will continue sharing with us his perspectives on where the pet industry may be headed in the future and what opportunities that might offer to those in the know, including you, our Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F
Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F dot com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. <laughs>